Hello, everybody, and welcome to the eighth episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that brings you magic-related financial information without dropping hot Aldrazi over half the planet. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic, the gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon. Glad to be here with you, James, and I'm looking forward to discussing all sorts of interesting topics this week. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, you want to break down for everybody what we're going to be covering today? Sure. We've got four segments. Our first segment is going to be the top movers, where we look at the cards that have seen the largest price gains in the last week. Section two is our cards to watch. This is where James and I will share the cards that we have on our radar that we think could make you money. Section three is a week in review where we are going to be looking at the recent tournament results. This week, it's the three concurrent modern Grand Prix that occurred this past weekend. And finally, we'll wrap up the week with segment four, our hot topic. Uh, So let's start right in at the top. Segment one, our top movers of the week. Uh, This week, we're starting with Sylvan Library from Legends. Uh, We've seen this double in price from about $45 to 90. Uh, Sylvan Library was the darling of the finance world about a year or two ago. I saw some movement, the the Legends copy crept up to the 45 we're seeing now. And it looks like copies have been getting picked off here and there. And it finally fell to the the trend we've been seeing of all these old cards from Antiquities and Legends getting bought out. Yeah, I've got to assume that a lot of this motion is is part of the kind of old school magic format where Sylvan Library is actually a relatively strong card. Um, and, you know, it doesn't surprise me that anything solid from Legends um, is going to continue to fall down the domino train as uh, people notice low supply on those cards. I agree. Next up. Well, we've got uh, Legion Loyalist out of Gate Crash moving from $4 to $9 this week for a $5 bump, um, 125% gain. Um, this was largely on the back of uh, our compatriot over at MTG Goldfish, uh, Saffron Olive, um, uh, running a video series uh, where he was uh, putting a, a pretty sweet Goblins deck on the table. Um, a similar Goblins deck also went 5-0 um, in a Magic Online tournament. And uh, this is a, a signal to people that you should never count Goblins out um, as one of the most dominant tribes in Magic's history and uh, mainstay of the aggro scene. Uh, you know, cards like Legion Loyalist and Pile Driver um, are going to continue to uh, put up strong results uh, as additional cards are are added to that tribe over time. Yeah, and we have that uh, Goblin, what is it, Warchief promo, FNM promo coming up too, that may be hinting at more Goblins in the future. Um, it's curious. We don't. We haven't. That's a, that's a particularly unique FNM promo card coming up. So perhaps there's there's more goblins on the horizon for us, and Legion loyalists and Pile Driver and those types of cards are are going to gain steam um, with some future prints. It's hard to say. You know, if you guys were playing during Gate Crash, you probably have a couple of Legion loyalists lying around in a binder somewhere. So go dig those out and see if you can trade out uh, at a profit. Oh, yep. Yeah. All right. Next up is Chainer's Edict. Uh, we're looking at the Torment copy here specifically. 
it's picked up $8 from 5 to 13 uh, for about 160% gain. This is part of the, looks like the paper, the I'm sorry, the popper, paper popper movement. Uh, we talked about Oubliette last week, I think, is another black uncommon that would have, you know, kind of be part of that, that field. Uh, maybe this is the start of Popper starting to move certain cards in paper, which we haven't seen too much of in the past. I know, you know, where this is a Torment version, but I know the FTV foil sold out not that long ago as well, uh, you know, a week or two ago. Um, I don't know. This is interesting. We may be seeing the beginning of a new format being able to finally put pressure on paper copies. Yeah, I mean, most of our listeners are probably aware that a, a format called Popper exists and that uh, specifically allows you to play cards that have been printed at Common uh, in some at some point in Magic's history. But they may not realize that the format has primarily um, been a big deal on Magic Online, where people that are looking to basically play for uh, you know a relatively low cost have focused on that format as a as a way to engage in the online community without having to uh, shell out hundreds of ticks. Um, it hasn't been a big deal in paper, um, but anecdotally over the last year, I've definitely heard of more and more LGSs running popper tournaments, popper nights, um, you know, when F&M uh, moved to multi-format, um, you know, pick your format kind of uh, situation. Um, popper definitely got some momentum there. And I, I don't think that it's, you know, purely organic, uh, the growth we're seeing on some of these key popper cards. Um, part of it is, you know, how few cop, uh uh, printings of Chainer's Edict exist. Part of it is, I think, speculators trying to get out ahead of a trend. Um, you know, after tiny leaders left a lot of money on the table for people that you know missed some of those opportunities, um, people are quick to, on the trigger um, when there's even a whisper of a new format making a move. And I think Edict is, you know, one of the the first uh, flags to get raised on that poll. So tell me about uh, Whirling Dervish from Legends popping this week, Travis. Well, it looks like we saw a dollar fifty gain. Copies went from seventy-five cents to two twenty-five, uh, about doubled in price. This is still part of that larger trend we're seeing of these legends, antiquities, Arabian Nights, old school magic cars beginning to disappear. Uh, I don't think there's anything particularly noteworthy here. This is hardly the first one of these. I mean, even just Silver Library earlier today, and uh, we will definitely be still talking about these more in future weeks too. So. If you're a fan of that format, I would definitely be looking to pick up any copies in this universe of cards that you haven't already have. On a side note, I want to just point out that I think the terms old school magic and 93-94 are, are uncreative. I don't really care for any of those. I'm going to propose a new name for the format, Ancient. I think that Ancient is a good way to describe that magic <laughs> format. The, the only downside there is that many of us that were actually playing back in those days already feel ancient and probably don't want to be reminded every time we sit down at the <laughs> kitchen table to play. Well, you know, I was around for those cards and, uh, you know, we are what we are, James. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So the next card on the list we need some help with from the uh, the uh, listener base Conspiracy from Time Spiral um, has, and in the Marcadian Mass edition as well, has moved from $1.50 to $6. Um, it's not the first time this card's shown movement uh, this winter. And, you know, our research didn't show up any any trend lines that would explain the move. So if somebody under, can explain to us uh, what deck is running Conspiracy or whether it's an EDH card, um, you know, it showed a 300% gain this week, and we would love more info on that. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear it as well. Is it just a case that low supply finally dried up and nobody was looking? Or was this targeted? Couldn't tell you. Next up on our list is Risen Executioner. 
Uh, both the non-foil and foil copies moved pretty dramatically this week. Foils went from two or non-foils went from two to six for about a 200% gain in price. Foils uh, had a pretty similar movement. This happened in response to the restless, relentless dead spoiler over the weekend, a two-drop mythic zombie that uh, is quite relentless. In fact, it comes returns itself from your graveyard to, to your hand and also returns other grave zombies from your graveyard to play. So it does a lot. Um, I guess the news that there are going to be good zombies in Innistrad surprised a lot of people. And they saw Risen Executioner as an underpriced mythic to swing in on. This is a lot of, I don't want to call it speculative in the sense that you have a few people buying out huge quantities, but definitely a lot of players who saw that card said, I want to play zombies and I want to get my set of Risen Executioners before it rises. And you just had a lot of people in that same line of thinking picking up their copies, which has driven the price up uh, pretty considerably here. At this point, though, this is a totally un... Well, I like the card. It's a completely untested quantity. Um, so I would I have very low confidence in this at the moment. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that for if it, a Mythic is underplayed and suddenly it looks like it might get played, moving from something like $2 bulk Mythic status to $6 makes perfect sense. This is the, the exact move I would expect to see in this situation. But Relentless Dead is not going to be enough to put that deck together. What we really need to see is the two or three other low-curve playable zombies um, that make that deck exciting. Um, you know, this isn't a world where you have uh, Nykthos um, to, to drive out a dominant mono blacklist quite yet. Um, so totally fair to be trading these out you know in the six to seven dollar range if you can get away with it um if you want to sit on them and wait and see what other cards are revealed that's also a relatively safe bet if if the deck ends up being good and risen Execution risen executioner is a four of then as a mythic it could easily hit 10 to 15 um over the course of its standard life yeah completely agree uh all right james finish it off for us what's our number one mover this week so again, we just have a, an old school card from Antiquities, uh, uh, Circle of Protection Artifacts that moved from $0.55 cents to $4. Um, this looks like a low supply buyout. I think you're going to have trouble moving these cards anywhere um, at, at current pricing because I, I suspect that the demand just is, is too soft to support a mass unload. So I think this is one where, you know, if you can trade one out on Puka at three or four bucks, great. And otherwise, just stay away from this. Yeah, completely agree. It, it, this... There's going to be uh, many times where we see a card that was 25 or 50 cents that had really low supply. Somebody finally buys the last copy, and then somebody goes through a stock and goes, well, if there's nobody on the market, I might as well jack the price up. And you see a card go from 50 cents to $4. It's not really that meaningful of a move, but the percentage is big. So uh, that's, that's pretty common in this in this world. Okay. Yeah. It's important for everybody to keep in mind that when a card goes from fifty cents to four dollars on soft demand, you're going to have trouble getting, you know, even two or three buy lists might still be a dollar, dollar fifty if you're lucky. So it's the kind of thing you just really want to steer clear of. Yeah, yeah, real hard to make money on that type of thing. All right, segment two, cards to wash. This is definitely the fat section of the episode today, James. You've really outdone yourself. I am going to let you uh, start start off here. Well, I've been I've been selling off some of the bigger targets that I've been acquiring on Puka Trade lately. So I've been spending a lot of time um, revising my my current specs list, looking for places to plow profits back into new specs. Um, and that came up with a fairly dramatic list of of options for this week. Um, so to kick things off, um, what I'm looking at from uh, big picture perspective on expeditions is that too many of the expeditions uh, are in relatively low supply. 
um, with uh, dramatically sliding pricing. And this includes both some of the um, unheralded expeditions from Battle for Zendikar that have uh, suffered uh, as people have, you know, continued to open expeditions in uh, limited environments and seen them as opportunities to trade into cards they need for the in, into the rising cost of both standard and modern um, expeditions have been used as you know lottery ticket scratch cards that are are, are being traded into bigger pieces of decks. Um, but the thing is, there really aren't that many expeditions of any one type lying around. The average supply on TCG player of of a expedition is somewhere between fifty and hundred copies, which is really not that much for you know a recently printed card. And when you consider that these things are essentially uber uber mythics, you know they they were only showing up you know one or two per case, so that's like six one or one expedition every two or three boxes. Um, and that you had, you know, 20 of these things printed over the course of two sets, um, you know, total supply of expeditions is still very, very low. Um, and some of these key cards are going to move as time goes on. So to get specific, um, one of the cards I've had my eye on is Cinderglade, um, the expedition um, that makes green red mana that is used as a four of in Scapeshift decks in modern. Um, Scapeshift is relatively uh, well positioned. Um, when the Eldrazi um, deck is kicked out of modern, and there's a, you know, it's never going to be uh, a true tier one deck, I don't think, but it's a very solid tier 1.5 or tier two, depending on the the skill of the pilot. Um, and uh, Cinderglade being, you know, a modern playable expedition that's played as a four of, that's available for just thirty five dollars right now, um, is a very very tasty target, and I could easily see that card hitting fifty or sixty dollars for a you know seventy five percent gain potentially over the course of the next year or two. Um, the other two that I caught caught my eye are Windswept Heath and Verdant Catacombs. Um, you know, two of the best uh, four of uh, Fetchland expeditions played in modern. Um, there are four ofs right now in Coco lists. There are four ofs in Junk and Jund lists that are going to get stronger once Eldrazi leave. Um, you know, green is the fair color of modern um, for the most part. And green decks look very well positioned to play a strong role moving forward. There are multiple different variants. And one of the things I love about a modern staple is when lots of different decks can run it. Um, and run it, they will. Windswept Heath... Um, expeditions are currently available for just $105. I could easily see that hitting $150 over the course of the next year for a $45 gain, 40, 40% or so. Um, Verdant Catacombs has been has settled in a little higher at about $160, but that could easily become a $200 card. Um, we really only have to have 20 or 30 copies um, at the low end of the price point right now, um, get bought up on sites like TCG Player, and then you know the needle will just move on these cards permanently. Um, the the last one on the expedition list is Horizon Canopy, um, a card which I just recommended last week you all sell. But when I said sell it, I also said you can trade into one of these expeditions um, for an original copy plus a fetch land or something. Um, I would much rather be holding um, foil expedition versions of Horizon Canopy that I get in on at around ninety five, the current price, and get and try to target a hundred and fifty dollar exit point over the next year, year and a half. For something like a fifty or sixty percent gain, I've uh, pro traders over at MTG Price uh, will have may have read my article from late last year where I actually spoke uh, extensively about expeditions. I thought they were a great target then. Um, you know, I I sunk about two grand into them late last year, and so far that's already been profitable. I like a lot of this. 
uh, the fetches especially, windswept heath, I'm a big fan of. I do think there's a lot of fertile ground there, and I agree the the supply is very low. Uh, we haven't seen a huge rush on those so far, um, but supply is shrinking. And remember that even Battle for Zendikar uh, has only been out for I think what four months now, five months. It's it's real short. Uh, you know, once we get six months to a year away from there, I think you're really going to start to see some of these prices take off as people realize there just aren't any more on the market. And if you watch Star City coverage for, for the modern events, you see expeditions show up fairly regularly, uh, the shocks and the fetches. So people are definitely out there buying them. They want to have these. They want to have them in their deck um, and, and, and they're playing with them. So I would not be surprised to see these prices move pretty considerably. Uh, Horizon Canopy especially, I, I, I think is interesting at this point. I, I looked at your your prices here while you're talking and you're right, the current price of the Expedition copy is like 15 to $25 more than the paper copy. And I actually, earlier this week, sold a foil future site Horizon Canopy for $155. So there's definitely demand and willingness to pay that money for foil Horizon Canopy. So, I mean, we could see the Canopy expeditions there in the span of a week. So I don't know. It, it'll be, I'd be curious to see how that goes. I mean, I've got I've got a couple of Japanese copies that I'm I've already got an offer on, um, and I'm going to be moving those out and turning them basically almost one for one into expeditions. Um, mm-hmm. which seems like a very safe place to be transferring funds. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Especially because we could see Horizon Canopy reprint in a lot of particular places. It might not be anytime soon, but those uh, those future site copies could take a hit, but the expedition copies uh, will not. Um, I, I'm going to do my first pick here of the week uh, after James did four. Uh, I picked Linvala the Preserver uh, from Oath of the Gatewatch. This is a short-term, short to midterm card. I'm giving it a confidence level of about six. Right now, you can pick up copies for 2 to $3. This is uh, Thragtusk-esque in its uh, ability to impact the board. Uh, it's not quite as straightforward as Thragtusk was, but definitely has a high power level. I can't guarantee you that the metagame is going to shake out in a way that rewards this card, but with the upcoming change in the mana bases, that double white is going to be a lot less scary than it was. And as at 2 to $3 a piece, I could easily see this in the double digits, which represents a pretty strong gain. Uh, so I think that this is a very low uh, opportunity cost, very low risk for a card that has could potentially be one of the best cards in standard. Yeah, I've got a couple of caveats on that card short term. Um, one is whether Avacyn, uh, as a five casting cost angel with massive upside in the right deck, will end up overshadowing Linvala um, and just basically pushing her out of the format. I find it hard to believe that you can that there's going to be a deck that can control the early game well enough to run eight uh, angels that have a five or six casting cost. Um, and if it's not a not a four of in the control deck. Um, that might want to run uh, Avacyn, then maybe it doesn't have a home. The The other problem uh, is that the the format could shake out super, super fast. Uh, Two-color decks uh, mean less mana problems. Um, maybe we've got a mono-black zombies deck. There's almost certainly a, a black-red uh, rush deck in the, in the black-red skies or something with the vampires. Um, however, I will say that I still love this pick because if none of the standard opportunities play out, you've still got the angel collector's who are not going to leave uh, a great angel like this at $3 in the bulk mythic bin forever. Two to three years out, it's definitely a $10 card, no matter what. Yeah, several of the cards I've looked at recently, have I've sort of been hedging. It's, yeah, this card could be really good in standard, 
Um, and the power level is definitely there. Whether or not the metagame shakes out for it is another question. But I always leave myself the back door of, well, this is also a card that we could see increase dramatically in casual or other circles uh, that might not happen right away, but their value is there. Like Kozluk, for instance, I've been talking about him. So this is in that same ballpark. Yep, I'm with it. So the next group of cards on my watch list this week um, are all related to the fact that Collected Company uh, is becoming a very important uh, card in the modern uh, metagame. Not only is it uh, powerful enough in its uh, various incarnations to challenge the Eldrazi, um, as we're going to see in our metagame breakdown this week, um, but it's very likely, once the Eldrazi are gone, to set up shop as one of the um, standard tier one staples uh, in in modern uh, on the go for the foreseeable future, um, and so there's a bunch of cards that are related uh, to decks that play Coco um, that are worth taking a look at. That includes foil copies of Collected Company itself, um, currently sitting at thirty five dollars. Um, those of us that bought in on those around ten dollars when they were first released are pretty pleased with the results already. But I suspect that given that it's a four of and given that the the collected company shows up in multiple different uh, deck styles, um, all green, all focused around creatures, often with a combo piece involved, um, that this is a, a rare uh, foil that could easily hit $60 in the next year or two. Um, and I would you know, strongly advise people get in on it now so that they can enjoy some serious gains. Um, likewise, one of the things that makes the green decks uh, really good is consistency, and that consistency comes from actually having two green spells um, to run in in uh, sequence um, alongside each other. The other being Court of Calling, uh, and the foils for that card are sitting around twenty five dollars. Um, it has two printings: one in the original Ravnica block, one in M fifteen. Um, I could easily see those foils hitting forty dollars if the green decks keep doing well for a sixty percent gain. Um, and they're both both of these foils are in relatively low supply, so they're looking pretty tasty. I'm a big fan of both of these cards. I was actually commenting in uh, Facebook chat earlier that I was pleased to see that Court of Calling's up to like 12 non-foil because I had bought a bunch uh, quite a while ago when they were rotating out of standard. Um, I, you know, I, I'll be honest, I hadn't really looked at the foils much on either of these. The buy-in uh, price is a little high for me. Uh, but they both seem like definite gainers. So at the very worst, if you want foil sets, now is probably the time to get in. Um, so I, I, I like both of those. And, and on that note, actually, uh, my second pick for the week uh, is Razor Verge Thicket. And I, I've only got this as a five right now, so it's, a, it's on the lower end. Uh, but this is a mid to long term pick. Copies of Razor Verge Thicket uh, only in Scars of Merit, and this is the green white fast land. Uh, Black Cleave Cliffs is the one you may be more familiar with. Copies of Razor Verge are only seven to eight bucks right now, uh, which is exactly where Black Cleave Cliffs was a while ago. And that's now $20. Uh, the only reason that I am not as excited about Razor Verge as Black Cleave Cliffs is Black Cleave was consistently and is consistently a four of in Jundex, uh, which really helped a lot. Razor Verge seems to float in between maybe two to four copies in a lot of these junk decks. So there's not quite as much concentrated demand from the deck that wants it. However, I think there's a lot more, a lot more decks that might want copies of this. Uh, and I think we see an explosion in these junk value lists after the Eldrazi are banned. Yeah, I mean that that makes perfect perfect that makes perfect sense. The, there are multiple decks that run it, including Absent Company, Absent Cord, 
Boggles, Kiki Cord, Green White Hate Bears runs it, Abzan Rally, um, Death and Taxes Brews. So yeah, I mean, I could see that this will will be a likely gainer. So in keeping with this theme of uh, cards that are playable in Coco Cord decks, um, Anafenza Kintry Spirit uh, foils, especially, um, are still sitting in the five dollar range, which makes no sense to me given that this card. Uh, had two copies in the winning deck that beat out uh, six Eldrazi decks in the top eight of GP Detroit um, and is a mainstay in the uh, the combo variants um, of the various green decks, uh, usually as a two of, as I said. Um, on that basis alone, I think it can easily hit $15 for a $10 gain, 200% uh, increase. What do you think about that pick? I think this is very interesting. I did not realize these anafenses were five bucks in foil. That seems very solid to me. Yeah, uh, I, I just can't see it sitting there. I mean, the, it's approximately the same uh, age as as uh, collected company. Um, company is always a four of anafenses, often a two of, but the that doesn't explain a six times difference in the foil multiplier. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so. James has given us a lot here this week. I'm going to wrap up with my last pick. It is Gifts Ungiven. Uh, this is a mid-to-long pick. I'm giving this an 8 on my confidence level. I am a big fan of Gifts Ungiven. I'm looking at the copy from uh, Modern Masters specifically, but the Champions of Kamigawa is fine too. You can pick up copies right now for about 10 bucks. I think we could see this at 20 probably within the year, uh, possibly much sooner than that. This showed up again. We've seen this card a lot in Modern here and there. Uh, it's part of the unburial rights combo. You gifts ungiven at the end of your opponent's turn for unburial rights and one creature, probably like Elishnorn. You only get two cards. Your opponent has to put them in your graveyard, so you untap and get to unburial rights your Elishnorn or whatever, um, which can be lights out against some opponents depending on what creature you fetch. And then it also has added utility just in that it fetches four cards and uh, presents your opponents with tough decisions. We're also getting Delirium added to Modern. Uh, with Shadows of Innistrad coming up. So card types are going to matter. So there might be some extra utility in in the cards that get put in your graveyard and get put into your hand. So there's room for that to matter, as well as other graveyard shenanigans in the, in the Innistrad block. And we also saw this show up in a Storm deck this last weekend at the Grand Prix as a four of, uh, as a way to kind of power up their graveyard uh, for when they go off. So Gives and Given just fills a lot of holes. It uh, does a lot of interesting things. It reminds me of Intuition. And Modern Masters cards have been spiking all over the place, so I don't see any reason why this couldn't be uh, double price or more within the next year. Yep, I, I can get with all of that. So I should point out that all of the confidence level on a scale of 1 to 10 for all my picks this week was uh, between a 7 and an 8. Um, I think I forgot to mention that previously. Let's talk a little bit about our uh, cards to sell this week. Um, first on my list is Mox Opal. Uh, a card that has uh, shown some significant gains during the ascendancy of Affinity through um, you know, Eldrazi Winter. Um, Affinity's been one of the only decks that's been uh, consistently able to tackle the Eldrazi. Um, and, you know, I could see this... Uh, I, I don't think that we're going to see a ban on an Affinity card in April alongside the Eldrazi because there's already going to be enough ill will in the community um, over having to retire Eldrazi decks uh, too early. 
Um, but I do think that Affinity then steps up to the plate as probably the strongest deck in the format, um, and that there will be a target on its head heading into next winter, um, especially if there's another modern Pro Tour, which seems a little bit debatable, but um, on the assumption that there will be, um, I would be worried about the future of my Mox Opals. I think that this isn't a rush sell. Um, this could easily see further gains up into the 40 to $45 range, especially if Affinity takes top seat. Um, in the absence of Eldrazi come mid-late April. But heading into the summer, there's a whole bunch of other things to focus on, and I could easily see the card falling back. Um, so I think it's a good time to reap the rewards of having some of these from your MM2 purchases and, and get out while the getting's good. Uh, well, you know, I, I'm going to deviate a little bit. I'm I'm not ready to get rid of my Mox Opals yet. I think, uh, you know, I got mine. I have like one or two that I picked up around 30 bucks in trade. And uh, I'm hanging on for a little bit longer. I, I don't think Affinity is anywhere close to being banned yet. Not that it won't be in the future. Um, so, you know, once we, if we hit 50, well, I shouldn't say if, when we hit 50, which is could be later this year, uh, this summer, then I'll be looking to exit um, because I do think Affinity would be on the short list of decks to get hit next, but I don't think they have any real reason to act on that yet. So I'm a, I'm a little, little more willing to hang on for the ride on this one. Um, and as for some cards that I want to get rid of myself, I mean, nothing nothing exciting. Just Chainer's Edict and Risen Executioner, two cards we talked about earlier. I don't see Popper sustaining any prices in the near future in paper. And uh, Risen Executioner is totally untested. So if you can get anything out of those cards, uh, I'm all for that. Okay, we're going to move on to segment three, our metagame week in review. Uh, this was a busy weekend. We had three modern GPs at Detroit, Bologna, Bologna, Bologna yep. and Melbourne. Uh, oh, thanks for the, the confirmation there. Uh, and we had the the puzzle rooms at each, which were uh, pretty interesting. I wish Wizards had announced those earlier. I might have actually gone to Detroit had I known they were going to be there. But, you know, the story of this weekend, I feel like since we started this podcast, it's been the same story every weekend, which is just Eldrazi, Eldrazi, Eldrazi. 14 of the top 24 uh, were Eldrazi decks. It won two of the GPs and took second at the other GP. Uh, you know, it really just <laughs> got a pretty big target on its head, which Aaron Forsyth basically confirmed uh, at some point during the semifinals, said they were gonna, probably going to get rid of something. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting, though, is that Aaron didn't ba basically made it sound like they were going to try to save the deck. Um, so figure out some way to make it fair. Um, I find it hard to understand how you can t remove one of the key lands out of Ayavugan or um, Eldrazi Temple and still have the deck operate even at tier two. But um, I'm curious to see where they go with that. And, you know, between that and being able to potentially play the deck in Legacy, um, I I've elected to hold on to my, my core staples for the time being. Interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, I I'm going to move away from the Eldrazi for the moment. You know, I feel like everyone's kind of sick of it. The few things that popped up Eltor in the top eight that I thought were were interesting uh, was that four gifts ungiven in the storm list. I, I've never seen that before in a storm deck. Have you? No, I mean it, I, I'm assuming it's you know in partnership with Past and Flames. It seems like an interesting innovation. LSV didn't seem too impressed with it on camera um, <laughs> beyond the novelty. Um, but obviously, you know, if if you make it all the way to the top eight of a major GP these days, um, then many things are going right with your deck. And, you know, it's definitely a reason to have uh, our eye on Gifts Ungiven as, as things proceed. Well, what does else we know? Uh, we saw a Bant uh, Court of Calling deck, Court of Calling Collected Company deck pop up uh, over in Europe. That 
received a little bit of Twitter excitement too. This was playing Knight of the Reliquary, Meddling Mage, four Phantasmal Image, and four Reflector Mage. So I don't know if this is a necessarily just a metagame deck against Eldrazi as a way to make their creatures, you know, make your own Reality Smashers and bounce theirs. I'm not sure, but it's a very curious deck. Now, I played against a version of this at uh, FNM last week, um, playing my Eldrazi Brew um, using Descendants Path. And uh, trust me, this deck's the real deal with Eldrazi in the format. Um, I find it hard to believe that this would be a configuration that would be um, valuable without Eldrazi dominating because there's so many uh, targeted calls. You know, Meddling Mange being able to name reliably name one of two or three key Eldrazi staples is pretty big game. Phantasmal Image getting to either copy a Meddling Mage and name something else, copy a Reflecting Mage and bounce an Eldrazi. Um, or just uh, cop- can copy Neldrazi, I guess, um, all become pretty interesting plays. And then Reflector Mage making the jump into Modern definitely has my attention because that makes those foils potentially very tasty. Yeah, it really does. Although I, I haven't looked, but I'm willing to bet that they're 10 to $15 already. Uh, so I guess we'd have to look at Monastery Swift Seer probably to see where Uncommon or the foils of that Uncommon could go. Um, the last thing that popped up to me in this was we saw a zombie infestation top eight, which is, is pretty amazing. Uh, it has, <laughs> has three copies of vengeful Pharaoh. I think that's probably the most relevant card in the deck for our purposes. I think those are, are two or three bucks right now. Um, I, have you got any thoughts on that one? Well, I mean, that's only ever been printed in M12. There's less than a hundred copies online. Um, you know, it's probably got some some casual support as a fairly unique card that that is likely to appeal to casuals. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's something to keep an eye on for sure. I mean, this strikes me as the kind of deck like Lantern Control where it's only ever going to be a niche deck in the marketplace because uh, it, it has a fairly unique avenue of approach. It requires relatively skillful play. You need to know the format really well and know the deck pretty well um, to play effectively. Um, but, you know, de- definitely something worth keeping our eye on. Um, Ventula Pharaoh could easily go from 3 to 10 if the deck um, made another top 8 or continued to do well in the online metagame, uh, signaling potential, you know, tier 2 status for the deck. Hmm. Yeah, okay. So some interesting stuff popping up in the top 8. A uh, few top eights that we had that aren't weren't Eldrazi decks. Yeah. No. Um, all right. And, and and again, I think it's worth pointing out that Ralph Patesh playing Abzan Company was actually the winner in GP Detroit, the only non-Eldrazi winner uh, on the whole weekend. And trust me, folks, if if the combo version of of Coco is playable in a format where six Eldrazi are in the top eight, then it's definitely a tier one deck when the Eldrazi are gone. Um, uh, hence, many of the picks that we made this week. Well, you know, okay, so hold on to that thought for two seconds. That puts us into segment four, our topic of the week. The first thing we have written down is where do where does modern go once the Eldrazi gets hammered? Let's say the uh, Eldrazi Temple gets banned, the deck falls into tier two or three, t- tier two or tier three status. Uh, so, I mean, you're you're really liking collected company decks here after after the banning, is that correct? Yeah, I think that. Con- any, any deck that's running some combination of Collected Company and Court of Calling has to be a favorite um, heading out the other side. I mean, it's it's worth noting that all of this is pure speculation. We don't There's going to be new cards from Shadows over Innistrad. The metagame is going to get a major shakeup. We don't know exactly what form the Eldrazi ban will take. And so making definitive calls on what's going to come to the forefront is a fool's game. But um, given the strength of decks that are unlikely to be affected by any bannings, 
that were able to go toe to toe and don't aren't specifically um, don't specifically seem like metagame calls. I mean, the, the process of running out, um, you know, uh, mana creatures, accelerating into a cocoa, putting value creatures on the table and occasionally comboing off is a strategy that was already good before Eldrazi. It looks like it will be good after Eldrazi. And, uh, you know, it used to be that Splinter Twin was just uh, the more reliable combo. It was, a, you know, a two card combo in most cases. The Coco uh, core decks typically are running a three card combo. And so Splinter Twin was, you know, the, the combo um, value deck of choice. But given that that, you know, that deck is now completely absent from the format, this might be, you know, one of the top three decks moving moving down the road. I, I completely agree. Uh Court of Calling and Collective Company are so powerful in concert. They do so much work. And this deck was good before the Eldrazi. When Twin was legal and we didn't have Eldrazi, it was good. And a few play, a few pros had said it was the best deck in the format at the time. Now, Twin is gone, but Eldrazi is taking over. It's still hanging around. What does Modern look like in a post-Twin, post-Eldrazi world? I'm pretty sure there's a lot of junk out there. I, I, I totally agree that that's going to be a big player. Um, so, you know, get, get used to seeing a lot of Anafenses and Kitchen Finks and, and all that on the other end, side of the table. Affinities, I think, is going to still maintain a pretty large presence. But, you know, it, when you have all those Abzan lists running around that can shove four Stony Silence in their board and are already in decent shape main deck, it's probably going to keep Affinity from taking over the format. Uh, we can see some of these more obscure combo decks start to come to the front of the format too. Living End. Uh, it just kind of keeps getting a little more interesting, a little more interesting. Ad nauseum, uh, we could finally see that come to the forefront. So uh, there's some interesting options out there. Is there anything else that kind of speaks to you that you you are expecting to see? Well, it was interesting to note that Living End is is really can't really even be called a fringe deck anymore, given that it put three copies uh, in the top eight in Melbourne, um, which was the GP that had the fewest number of Eldrazi copies in the top eight with just three. Um, they had an Abzan company, a dredge deck um, as, that we talked about earlier, and three copies of Living End at the top eight. So, I mean, Living End has gone from, you know, a tier three fringe to at least tier 1.5 um, and doesn't suffer any in a in a format without Eldrazi. Um, I mean, the, the thing that hurts both uh, Coco Company decks and uh, Living End once Eldrazi is gone is that everybody can rededicate a bunch of sideboard slots to Graveyard Hate. Um, which is much more likely to hold those decks in check. But that suggests that we might just be looking at a, a reasonably balanced metagame where, you know, five or six uh, archetypes uh, occupy the top, you know, the tier one, tier 1.5 slots and kind of rotate through the top eight. Yeah, you know, and I've got two quick thoughts on that is for Living End, we could see, you know, we're, we have Madness coming up which allows you to play cards with converted mana costs that are higher, but a low actual cost. So is there a way to, to integrate Madness into a Living End shell? I'm not sure, but it would give them, uh, possibly could give them some them some more tools that they don't have access to at the moment. Then um, as for a post-Eldrazi format where we see a lot more graveyard hate, that is going to hurt Living End pretty badly. But what's interesting is that the Coco decks um, can pivot from the uh, an offensa combo to the Archangel of Thune spike feeder combo, which does not use a graveyard, uh, still gains infinite life and can usually kill on the turn that you resolve it. We've already seen Archangel of Thune move pretty heavily in price. It'll be curious to see uh, how that goes. Yeah, um, that's a fair point. All right. So I was going to say that kind of gives us a good transition here into 
The other, the other quick question we wanted to talk about is, uh, what do we think Shadows of Innistrad holds for us in terms of changes across the various formats? Uh, you know, we're looking at probably a lot of zombies, some graveyard synergies. Uh, is there anything that you're thinking about that this could have an impact on? Well, I mean, one of the big things that's going to happen, uh, and this is going to be one of the most abrupt transitions in the metagame, I think standard has seen in recent memory, um, largely because with the fetch lands falling out, all of the four color decks become basically impossible. So you're not going to have decks like Mardu Green and Jeskai Black anymore. You're not going to have four color Rally. Um, a lot of these decks are losing both their mana bases and key components of their kind of central deck themes. Um, so I expect to see some version of uh, Black Red Madness come to the forefront. I mean, we've got the new Vampire um, that's a 2-1 flyer that turns into a 3-2 flyer if you discard a card. We know that we've got Fiery tempo, Temper confirmed as a key uh, Madness burn spell. Um, Lightning Axe is also in the set. Um, there's the other vampire that's a, a four, three haste creature for five, but you can discard it into play for three to the first vampire. Um, it's possible that the, the brew ends up being Grixis if the, if the mana can support it. We still don't know what the lands are in shadows over Innistrad. So there's that to consider, but Jace is so good with, uh, Jace Finn's prodigy is so good, um, with madness cards that it's hard to believe that, uh, blue won't be at least a splash in those decks. Um, just the wind was spoiled, uh, revealing that uh, this is an instant for one and a blue that returns target creature to its owner's hand. So a, a mediocre bounce spell, but it also has a madness cost of one. So, you know, obviously being able to bounce something while uh, uh, filtering card selection with your Jace is pretty sexy. And it also reveals that madness isn't limited to black and red. So given that we, we know it's in at least three of the colors um, that make up uh, a, a potential Grixis madness deck, that's pretty exciting. Um, I think the green red Eldrazi deck, uh, ramp deck is one of the builds that, uh, survives, uh, the most successfully into the new format. So that's definitely going to be a deck to watch, you know, ramping into Ulamog seems like it'll be pretty good for the first few weeks at least. Yeah, I, I agree on Eldrazi entirely. I think madness is going to be curious because we haven't seen any real madness cards in modern uh to date I, I think there are a few floating around at the moment from like time spiral but not a full block using that mechanic or even a full set so it'll be interesting to see how that goes especially with jace in my i'm just thinking about modern at this point um i don't know what we're going to get i mean we've already seen the lightning bolt that's so good in a deck that can consistently capitalize on that um and who knows where else we're going to go with that on, on top of that you have this delirium and we saw a new Delirium card that acts as a Memoricide, but it's only three. It's It Memoricides if you have Delirium, and it's only three mana. So it will be curious to see if where that goes. Uh, that's going to be a very strong utility tool for, for a lot of fair decks in Modern. But what I'm, what I'm most interested in is what the other Delirium cards look like. In Standard, those are going to tend to be probably a little slower. But in modern, you can go fetch land, crack it, thought seize, take your instant, and you're at three card types already. So we could see delirium decks become very powerful in modern, or delirium cards become very powerful in modern. And I'm going to be watching real closely for some of those graveyard strategies uh, to really flesh out in modern where uh, decks can typically put those plans together a lot faster than standard. Delirium looks like the kind of uh, mechanic that requires a Sam Black um kind of player to fool around and pull the deck out 
which represents uh, MTG finance opportunities for the rest of us um, if we can get our figure, fingers on the trigger ahead of the, the masses um, on some kind of a subtle card that, that puts together something new and exciting and modern. One of the other cards I wanted to touch base on was um, Thing in the Ice. This was the one in a blue for a 0-4 defender. <laughs> um, enters the battlefield with four ice counters on it. Whenever you cast an instant or a sorcery spell, remove an ice counter from Thing in the Ice. And if it has no ice counters on it, transform it, which turns it, it flips it over, turns it into a 7-8. And when it flips, you return all non-horror creatures to their owner's hands. Um, I noted on, on Twitter this week, Travis, that you pointed out that Spellskite is a horror and would not get bounced in that scenario. Yeah, which is going to be especially good because it's going to protect it from Path to Exiles or Reflector Mages or what have you. Uh, and it also pairs well with Snapcaster Mage because it returns yours to get back access to all the spells you cast to flip Thing in the Ice. Uh, this card, <laughs> I, I, I'm amazed at how fast my my relationship with this card has changed when it was spoiled. I was like, eh. And then I looked at it again. I was like, actually, this is pretty cool. I got thinking about it. I was like, this seems like it could be really good. And then I, over the course of like eight hours, the card sold out at a dollar, I think a dollar, $3, $5, $8, $10, $12, like 40 copies of the card sold out at each one of those dollar values on star city in the course of a day. So the internet has just taken this and run with it. And now I was like, okay, well, if everyone else is on, I don't care anymore. Um, you know, 12 bucks a piece. Uh, did you guys forget that Reflector Mage is legal? Uh, good luck getting that flipped with Reflector Mages everywhere. But that is a really interesting card. And I like that it gives you redundancy in the two drop slot in blue because it's that's going to give you a lot of uh, a lot of consistency in your deck if you're casting in standard or modern. I mean... I fully believe that this deck has this card has a future home somewhere, whether in standard or modern. Um, but again, it, it was fantastic at a dollar. Um, I hate it at fifteen. Uh, a, a rare in a set that's going to get opened a ton uh, is not going to hold that price. It'll be down to three or four dollars in short order. So um, if you if you already have some on order and you can reasonably expect to be able to flip out the copies you pre-purchased at a dollar in the ten to fifteen dollar range um, during pre-release weekend, um, that's a solid plan. The, the thing to keep in mind is that ultimate price gets turned on in a major, major way in standard as soon as the multicolored creatures leave the format. That's a you know two casting cast removal spell at instant speed, and nothing cute like this is going to survive in a format where you've got you know madness cards aplenty uh, running a, an aggro game that top ends with Avaricious Dragon or Thunderbreak Regent or the uh, Elusive Tormentor. This was another interesting card. Um, that could be at the top end of the Madness deck. This is the buy a box promo as well, which, as we've talked about in the past, is often an indicator that Wizards thinks the card is constructed playable. Um, this is a 4-4 four, four for 2 and 2 black. Pay 1, discard a card, transform Elusive Tormentor. Turns it into a 0-1 uh, hexproof indestructible creature that can't block and can't be blocked. And whenever Insidious Mist attacks and isn't blocked, you can pay two and a black if you do transform it back to the 4-4. Four, four. So you basically got a 4-4 four, four for four, nothing special there, but it does have all sorts of madness interaction capabilities. Um, and it's really hard for people to kill because you can madness something, flip it over, it's hexproof, it's indestructible, so you can't damage it or hurt it in any way. It can't be blocked once it flips over. And then if they've got spare mana, then they get to turn it back into the 4-4 four, four and hit you upside the head. 
Um, you know, I, I'm not convinced that, th- that this is going to be a major player and constructed at the top end of the Madness decks, but it's certainly one of the three cards I'm considering uh, and will be testing. Yeah, I'm I'm real lukewarm on this card. We talked to her about it a while in one of our Facebook chats this week. I, I still I'm not on board yet, but uh, I will I will reserve full judgment until we see how things go. Maybe there is an equipment sub theme hanging around someplace either in this block or the next one that will make that a little more interesting. But we have uh, we have reached the end of our lot of time for the week, so I'm going to wrap things up. James, uh, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. Great. And I, again, am Travis Allen. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. And I also write every Wednesday at MTGPrice.com. Uh, so, James, I thought we had a great conversation this week. And thanks again for joining me. Mm-hmm.